very good morning to you on Fellowship Day 406. 406, he says, slow staccato, and once again, not quite believing what day it actually is. At least in terms of recording day numbers, you know, Fellowship Day this, Fellowship Day that. There's going to be quite a gap between 406 and what the last episode was, which I believe was day 392. I don't know if they'll be released far apart. I don't know if I'll be able to release these more consecutively, but what will be unchanged is that difference in number. I've just got back to the office from a couple of weeks summer vacation. I religiously take the first two weeks in August off. A few little breaks here and there outside of that, but first two weeks in August is always when I try to decompress from the year's academic work. My wife and I share our wedding anniversary in the first week of August, and we use the spread of that two weeks to catch up with family and friends. And to be quite frank, to do absolutely nothing on some days other than chill out, relax and spend quality time with the kids. We've done all of those things, ticked all of those boxes in the last two weeks. I'm feeling great off the back of it. And without too much meandering around my holiday and boring you to tears, there was one thing that we did during that time that actually seeded a thought, or a reminder rather of an episode that I wanted to share with you, a conversation I hope to start. And it's something, once again, that is a prompter consideration for you. And it's something that for me, to be quite genuine, really annoys me. A few things genuinely annoy me. But when I hear one particular opinion come up about various sources of intellectual value, uh, it gets to me because I don't think it's right. So before we get to what that prompting consideration is, allow me to tell you a little bit of a story. First, not so much a, a confession, but a revealing of a badge that I wear close to my heart. I am a massive ABBA fan. I think their music's fantastic. I think as composers and prolific writers and entrepreneurs, Benny and Bjorn from ABBA are in many ways unrivaled in terms of their longevity and consistency. The band themselves, of course, put out many a hit. As I say this, I know that a couple of friends who listen to the podcast will be in tears of laughter already, knowing that all of this is bleedingly obvious to them, but not to others among you who are listening right now. But I'm, I'm a big ABBA fan. My wife is a pilgrim. She has ABBA's music flowing through her veins more so than the blood that purports to keep her alive. So a few years ago, as part of a pilgrimage for my wife and helping further seed my own fandom of ABBA, we went to Stockholm to visit the ABBA Museum, which was fantastic. You get to go through it, you see the origin story of the band, you get to see setups of where they recorded, you get to hear different mixes of songs that almost never were. And you get to do that all in minus nine degrees Celsius temperatures, freezing your ass off in a beautiful part of Sweden during the winter months, I might add. So that was, God, that was 2018. But it wasn't until this year, 2022, he says, aging the podcast a little bit for anyone who comes to this later. 2022 was the year in which we did something related to ABBA that we couldn't possibly do before. 
We went to see their new show in London, ABBA Voyage. So this came off the back of ABBA reuniting and going into the studio and recording a new album for the first time in around 40 years. But off the back of that, and given their age, you know, they were at their peak in the, in the 70s and early 80s. Um, and they're well into their old age now. And let's face it, won't be around for too much longer. But instead of doing a, a blood, sweat and tears world tour, they have innovated in a way that I am still desperately, difficultly, difficultly? That's not even a word. Come on, man. I'll pretend that I'm going to edit that out, but I won't. So scrub difficultly. <laughs> I'll go back to desperately trying to comprehend. ABBA Voyage, the show, is something that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. So is my wife. We are in genuine disbelief at what we witnessed. So for those of you who care little about the band, know nothing of them, or maybe just don't know what this latest show is all about, ABBA, I think in 2021, went into something akin to a games studio where they wore these strange high-vis suits with sensors on them, the same sorts of suits that you know a stunt person would wear to help capture movements for a video game. So it was that sort of technology. It looked as strange as it sounds, but the band, as they are now in their elderly years, were kitted out in these suits and essentially, at least in physical form, performed some of their hits. They captured their movements. And going beyond that, putting more intricate layers on top of this onion, their features were captured and a lot of their youthful features were transposed onto their elderly forms. I'm, I'm still trying to understand this so much that I'm not describing it well. But let me try to put it in a sentence. The ABBA of today tried to capture forever the ABBA of their heyday. The ABBA of today tried to capture forever their heyday. So when my wife and I got to London for this show, we were expecting to maybe be looking at a big screen, you know, to see some sort of nice hologram or video game sort of performance of some of ABBA's best hits. But we sat down in a row. We eagerly anticipated the lights going down. We saw the standing area in front of us slowly filling up. And when the time finally came, the lights went down. One of their hits kicked off. The crowd went wild, but still there was no ABBA on stage. But slowly but surely, four lights came on for each member of the band. And slowly but surely thereafter, four individuals emerged from underneath the stage with their dresses and trousers shimmering, moving in the slight wind of the venue. They were holding balance on their feet as they moved from underground to the top of the stage. And then the lights fully came on. The song kept playing. These four individuals kept singing and dancing and moving and hugging one another and moving around the stage and looking at the audience. 
and playing alongside a live band that only got revealed when the lights went up. We sat with our naked eyes looking at that stage, seeing ABBA as they were in 1979, the last time they played in London. There was no see-through component of these supposedly virtual individuals on stage. You couldn't see the band behind them when they were standing in front of them. What you could see was the flow of the fabrics, each member of the band disappearing into darkness as they moved forward and back on the stage. You could see the instruments being played, heads moving and hair bobbing. This was exactly like seeing the band in the flesh and time travelling back to their heyday. This was beyond any sort of fancy video game, beyond any sort of hologram that you might have seen before. This was as close to time travelling as I think I'm ever going to experience. And all the while, you know, keeping the scientific hat on, I couldn't help but wonder how the hell has this been achieved? And then when I took the science hat on and thought about the business hat, I thought, what an amazing way to capture the essence of a band that won't be around for much longer. What an amazing way to let three generations from now experience something that happened six generations before their time. It's just absolutely incredible. I've never seen anything like it before. But keeping that business hat on, I would be willing to bet that I'll see many a thing like it in the future. ABBA have innovated here and used their existing assets, let's face it, their incredible wealth, to hire teams that can create technologies in ways that have never been done before. I saw ABBA, and there's not many other things that will convince me otherwise, the technology was that good that I was entirely immersed in that concert hall with my wife for close to two hours, experiencing it like I would any other gig with a band standing there in the blood, the flesh and the sweat and the effort and the performance. These things, the ABBA concert and every other one, were one and the same. It felt like the real people were standing right there. Absolutely amazing in every possible way. And by the way, they're not even paying me to say this. <laughs> I once again have no sponsorship for the podcast. But trust me, there is a point to that story. That was something, as far as I understand, innovated in the business space, innovated in the entertainment realm. No formal university involvement, no traditional science or engineering institution or establishment involved here. This was something that had a big itch to scratch in terms of entertainment for the long term. And the way that that itch was scratched was done independently by money that had been made from other parts of the ABBA business. These people and their team have done something that others would suggest could only come from fundamental scientific or engineering focused institutions. And this gets to the heart of the prompt and consideration. 
I've been in several conversations, I can't put a number on it, where I've seen a theme emerge of people claiming that a lot of the best ideas come from academia, not business or industry. I cannot get on board with that. Based on my personal experience, and I should say increasing number of experiences where you see the opposite playing out. Where I think the fallacy in that idea is in thinking that academia holds the best ideas beyond industry or other non-academic institutions is that you see one far more visibly than the other. And by the way that people have skin in the game, there is more incentive to be more public about what you do in academia than there is in industry. There is, let's caveat this with the whole spin-out discussion, which is another conversation for another time. But in general terms, academia is more about public knowledge, giving back to the taxpayer, at least for public universities, getting your knowledge out there, seeking affirmation based on sharing that knowledge with peers, and end users, not seeking incredible wealth, just making sure it gets out there in the world, papers get written and so on and so forth. And it's with that idealism that more of academia can be seen, less of it is compared to industry associated with intellectual property or trade secrets or private know-how. Most academics will want to get their contributions out there in papers and other shapes and forms purely for the purpose of getting it out there, hoping that others will use what they have contributed. But of course, on the business side and industry more generally, there is more incentive to keep things secret, to hold, protect intellectual property and to make a commercial financial gain from that so that the business can operate, that the business can be reinvested in, the staff of the business can put food on the tables and so on and so forth, all obvious things that I'm saying purely for the point of this academia industry comparison. But going further than that, my personal experience of this, this is me reflecting on various academic and industrial experiences. I've been fortunate enough to plant throughout my career. And one of the earliest cases in point was my time working at Procter & Gamble, which I've spoke about on a, an earlier episode. And some of the people that I worked with in Procter & Gamble who are industrial scientists, not academic scientists, they might have been academically trained, but the vast majority of their time and effort and output goes into the company they are working for. It will only see the light of day in the form of a commercial product. They, being able to temper their ego and seeking incentive with, let's let's be clear, probably the better salaries that a big company can offer versus an academic institution, they are quite content for the fullness of their stories to remain internal, to not be able to sing and dance and shout about it and swagger about all the intellectual contributions that they've made all the stunning scientific developments that have had to go into something that ends up inside the shells of everyone's home. These people are as, and in some cases, more 
innovative than what you see more of coming out of academia, the more visible side of this coin. And it's having had experiences like that that I just constitutionally cannot get on board with any idea surrounding the notion that academia tends to have the best ideas. I think it's it's putting the blinkers on far too much. It's very narrow-minded. It's not seeing the fullness of the story. And it's not giving those who can't sing and dance about their story the credit that they absolutely deserve. I've most recently seen that through the ABBA concert and the story that I've just told you. It started much earlier when I had chances to work at places like Procter & Gamble. And after that, during my PhD working for Sanofi, a pharmaceutical company based out in Germany. Their headquarters are in France, but I was working in Germany. And all along the way, I've met many a brilliant academic scientist. But the important thing here for this story, for this episode, for this prompting consideration to you, is that I've met many a brilliant person who's quite happy, content, and will never move out of industry, and whose work, apart from the final commercial output, will never ever see the ego-boosting light of day. So for you, those you work with, both in academia and in the industry, or if you're not an academic, for those you work with in your traditional space versus those you might collaborate with outside your bubble, how can you maintain the fairness of where the diversity of intellectual input comes from? How might you avoid the bias of thinking the place that you work holds all the best knowledge and innovations? How can your, you temper your ego to understand that the diversity of intellectual input is what we need, not a bias to say that one form of input is better than another? I hope this finds you well. Thanks again. Thanks as ever for being here. As always, as ever, you can reach out to me for a Q&A episode. Send me a message through the episode webpage at dr-mark-read.com forward slash podcast. Send me that in written or audio form. I'll put out my answer from the head and from the heart on a Q&A episode. Until then, until the next episode, be well. I'll see you again soon for another episode of the Read Indeed podcast.